As many of you know, after we had emailed this week, right now, if things are (coughs) working the way that I expect they're working, uh, my daughter-in-law is in the process of being induced to deliver our fourth grandchild, Nolan, and uh, it looked like there could potentially be some difficulties because of an umbilical cord problem. It looked like he might have had a blood clot in there, and so they're wanting to make sure that everything is fine and they're going to take him early. He's about 37 weeks, which is just about where, where Nora was when she was born. You remember she was a little bit early also, so we Carters have a way of popping out early, I guess, and uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm sure that he's going to be just fine, and I'm so grateful that you've been praying. <clears throat> Thank you. First of all, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. And I wanted to tell you that by the end of tomorrow, if you were to go to our website, you're going to find this, Practical Obstacles to Prayer. We're going to talk about obstacles to our prayer lives this morning for just a few minutes. And... I'm going to deal with the time factor, the distraction factor, and the content factor on the website, separate and apart from this today. So please go to the website if you're thinking about this, interested, then go to the website by tomorrow and you're going to find the time factor, the distraction factor, and the content factor when it comes to obstacles to prayer. I'm going to do something a little bit different than that this morning. And the fact is, I don't know all the things that might keep you from praying and that might hinder your prayers. You and I are different, and so we're going to have different things that are going to hinder us in different ways. And, of course, vice versa, you don't know the things that hinder me. And so it might be that you're sitting out there thinking, well, if I, you know, if I don't pray, it's because of this, this, and this, but actually that doesn't connect with my life at all. But there are some things, I think, that keep our lives, our prayer lives, from being as effective as they should be. <clears throat> And so that's what I want to do this morning is go through some of these things that Scripture talks about and that we just know about. Excuse me. Sorry, Chris. That will hopefully allow us to pray better. We get our throats cleared, for example. And then I've saved the two most significant things for the end here. So when we get to the end of the lesson today, you're going to look at, listen, I hope, to the last couple of things with special earnest, because these are important. So what are the things that prevent us from being what God wants us to be when it comes to our prayer lives? And first of all, I would say faithlessness instead of believing trust. And we know this verse from Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And this is one of those times, one of those places where faith can be effective, or maybe it's not. Depending on where we are at any particular time, faith can hinder the effectiveness of our prayers. But then it's not just the effectiveness of our prayers that are hindered by faith because sometimes we don't have faith, meaning that our prayers are less effective. That's true. And then, of course, if our prayers are less effective, because we don't believe, we are actually far less likely to pray. And so faith or lack thereof, in some sense, is going to be a hindrance to prayer. But then, if you don't pray... 
you don't get what you want, if you don't pray with faith, it's going to hinder your prayers. And I think this is the case with a lot of us. Have you ever prayed for something? Longed for something to happen. Maybe somebody's life to be changed. Maybe somebody's health to be changed. Maybe world circumstances to be changed. And we just, over a period of time, it just didn't happen. And you end up saying, Lord, I'm tired. Or maybe you don't say, Lord, I'm tired. Maybe you're just tired. And you end up praying less because your prayers weren't answered. At least you thought they weren't. Or maybe they're not answered yet. And of course, there have been people who've prayed about something for years and years and years and years. And finally, it comes. And it was only their perseverance, their long faithfulness in prayer that caused eventually God's heart to be moved and he acted. And I actually do think that God responds to our voices. He hears what we say. And I think we have an impact on God. So I would say, keep praying and pray with faithfulness. And don't allow some lack of an answer to impact you in such a way that you end up praying less. It may be that right at that moment, you need to pray more. Secondly, disobedience and unrighteousness. I want you to turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 1. I guess you might already be there. And it echoes what's here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Look at this verse. It says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And look at the italicized part. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. And it's interesting, guys. Do you realize that the way you treat your wife may well hinder your prayers? And you ladies are thinking, well, of course. He better treat me well. God's going to just not even listen to him if he doesn't treat me well. There seems to be something there certainly linked to our behavior when it comes to our prayers. God hears our prayers or not. Our prayer lives are affected or not based on whether or not we are faithful, whether or not God sees obedience in us. And this is a principle that's been there for a long time. So if you look at Isaiah chapter 1, look at verse 10. Look what the Lord says here. Hear the word of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom, listen to the law of our God. You people of Gomorrah, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. It's just interesting the way God is saying, this very thing that I've told you to do in terms of making sacrifices to me, I don't care about any of it. Well, why? Why is it that God doesn't care about the sacrifices that the people are making to him? Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who's asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me, new moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies, your new moon festivals, and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. And then look at verse 15. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. 
Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And the implication is, then I'm ready to listen. But when your heart is filled with darkness, God has a hard time hearing the words that are coming out of your mouth. And in fact, he uses some really strong words about the worship that is offered to him by those who are sinful. Now, of course, we all are sinful. But there is some level, some depth, some hardness of heart to our sin where God says these things end up being your worship detestable to me. And he just doesn't even hear the prayers of those who come to him because of the sin that's present in their lives. And so that's certainly a deterrent, something that stands in the way of our prayer life with God. Thirdly, acceptance of forgiveness and resultant obedience. And I want you to turn to 1 John 3 because this is really a cool passage. And in fact, it's, it's a verse that is far deeper, I think, think than what we really even understand. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. And I want you to watch here the way that belief and obedience come together and then actually influence our prayer lives. Belief and obedience coming together and impacting our prayer lives. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So there's a level of disobedience in terms of caring for those around you. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. And that's interesting. Our hearts can be set at rest or not in his presence based on our response to God. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for look at these words, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So he's got a picture of why you pray, what you're doing. He understands completely the relationship that you have with him as you're being obedient and faithful. And then verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, and I think when he says that in context, I think what he means is, if you get what it is that Jesus has done for you and you receive his forgiveness. And so if our hearts condemn us or don't condemn us because we have now received his faith, received the blessing of salvation, we're one with him. If our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So not only is there obedience and faithfulness and confidence all kind of coming together in one package, but he even says that the Holy Spirit is present in the midst of that relationship. And so while you are praying, the spirit comes. While you're praying with an obedient heart, a confident heart, a faithful heart, God is present. He wants to be with you right at that moment when there is acceptance of his forgiveness and an obedience that comes out of that. 
And it's a beautiful picture of what relationship with God, living in God, is like. There's a certain a fullness to this that we need to see in the midst of that interplay, that dynamic between ourselves and God and our hearts and our obedience and even then our prayer lives. And so acceptance of forgiveness and resultant obedience drastically impacts what's happening with you when you pray. Fourthly, wrong motives prevents effectiveness. Should have a space in there. James 4.3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now the fact is, I don't, I don't know that that's a dominant theme in Christian lives. I might be wrong. I don't think there are that many Christians, certainly not those who I know, who are constantly praying with wrong motives. But clearly, it's a temptation for somebody, for someone, and we need to be careful of that one as well. I won't linger there. Lack of diligence. Luke 18, 2 through 5 is the story of the persistent widow. The judge says, no, I'm not going to give what you want, but the persistent widow just keeps coming to him and coming to him and coming to him. And because of her persistence, the Bible says, the judge finally says, just to get her off his back, I'll give you what you want. And I think the implication is that God likes to have us pester him. I think there's a part of God who just wants to hear us come to him over and over again with the same thing. In fact, I think he kind of likes talking to us. And so it makes sense that he would want us to come again and again. God just likes to be pestered a bit by his people. You wouldn't pester him unless you had faith. You wouldn't pester him unless you trusted him as your father. You wouldn't be able to come to him like that unless you had the kind of relationship that allowed you to come to him like that. And I think that God likes that. He wants us to. And then I want to camp for a moment on these last couple of things that I think are significant when it comes to prayer and the obstacles. First of all, I'm not sure that we understand the importance of what we do when we pray. Now, I don't think there's anybody here. If I was to say, Kevin, do you think that prayer is important? I don't think that Kevin would say, no, nah, I don't think so. It's not all that important. I doubt there's anybody here who would say prayer is not really all that important. I have heard Christians say, oh, prayer doesn't really do anything, which I think is really bizarre that they would say that. But I, I don't know that I've ever heard a Christian say prayer is unimportant. <clears throat> but there's something very puzzling, it seems to me, in the way that we do things. And it's simply this. We do think prayer is important, but sometimes we don't pray the way that we should. And this just seems to me that a fact, the case. And I don't know if you would agree with that in your own life. It could be that when you look at your own life, and you're thinking about your prayer life and your relationship with God, you think, you know, every time I really need to be praying, I am. I pray about those things I really need to pray about. My prayer life is in great shape. It's possible that you're like that. But I think a lot of people are not. And it just doesn't make sense. If a doctor says to some pregnant woman, you need to take these vitamins, take these supplements in order for you to have a healthy baby and to be uh, healthy yourself, Take these vitamins. Almost always, those women are going to say yes. They're not going to say, nah, I, you know, I'm not going to do that. 
If somebody says to you, you know, you would do a better job at work if you would just take this training and you're going to be advancing beyond where you are now. You need to take this course. In fact, I'll pay for it. Would you, would you take this course? Almost all of us would take it. In order for our car to last for years and through many kilometers, you need to regularly change the oil. And so people change their oil. We know that there are certain things that are important and we, in this life, we do them all the time. And then prayer comes along, our opportunities to pray, and we say it's important, but then we end up not praying as much as we could or should, despite the fact that we, in fact, do think that this is important. Well, I think it may be because of something like this. We think prayer is like an exercise program or dieting. It seems to us sometimes, I think, like we could take this or we could leave it. Or it's really good for us, but it's easy to set aside if something else comes along and interrupt its importance. Like a really beautiful piece of chocolate cake. Then I can say, you know, for the moment here, I'm going to set this aside. If any of you are dieting right now, you know the struggle. Last night, we were at Life Group. Robin had made a delicious dessert. If there was anybody there, and they were wrestling with their weight and thinking, I'm going to diet, how could they possibly have said no to this beautiful blueberry thing that it was that she made? It was wonderful. And we tend to treat, I think, our prayer lives a bit like that. We know we should, but it's so easy at times to kind of make it something optional. And what I would say is that instead of treating prayer like this, we need to think of prayer like this. Prayer is a lot more like water. Avoid it at your peril. Because it is absolutely crucial for our lives in God. And sometimes we don't think so. I don't know how many of you are big water drinkers out there. I am not. Like it is easy for me to get up in the morning and have a glass of water and then not really think about drinking water the rest of the day. And I, some of you I know drink all day long and you're thinking that's crazy. Like why would you ever do that? Don't you realize what you're doing to yourself and you don't drink that water? But I do. And my sense is that that is how prayer is supposed to be. We get up, we say a little short prayer in the mornings, half a glass, and then we go the rest of the day and we don't think much about it. And all the while God is saying, no, this is crucial. You've got to have this. You can't live without this. You will avoid it at your peril. You will go without it and wither and die spiritually. And so prayer is a lot more like water than it is dieting. And we need to recognize that. Now, I think we do actually pray about the big things. When I sent out the prayer request the other day and said, you know, Nolan's got a problem with the... Uh, possible blood clot in the umbilical cord and, you know, would you please be praying? I'm sure that there are, you know, maybe a hundred people who stopped and and right then said, Lord, please be with Nolan. 
bless him. There are people perhaps who got up this morning thinking about Sunday morning and thought, oh, no one's going to be born this morning. We need to be praying about this. And they've already been praying today the way that Robin and I have been praying today for Nolan. Like that's already happened in our lives for some of us. But when it comes to everyday things, and really the moment-by-moment living of life before the Lord, sometimes we don't pray. And it might be that there are things that supplant our prayers. It might be that there are things that just distract us. We're not compelled to pray about the smaller things and about God just being with us all day long. But God wants us to pray about those things. When Paul says, pray unceasingly... I don't think he's talking about just pray about the mega things. Pray about the Nolans who are being birthed right now. I think God means that he wants a constant kind of dialogue going with us all the time. And so we, sometimes, our spiritual walk and our spiritual health is not as important to us as we talk about it being. Instead, we're distracted by all kinds of things in this life that rank for us as higher priorities. And all the while, God just wants us to focus on Him. And so one of the things I want to encourage you to do this week is when you find yourself with just that idle mind for a moment, all of a sudden there is no phone ringing. There is no job that needs to be done right now. Will you at that moment just say, Lord... It's Kelly here. Just thought I'd talk to you today today for a few moments. And spend some time with Jesus. Because I believe that he wants you to do that. And then finally this morning, we don't understand our God dependency. And especially, I would say, we don't get this as a church. The kingdom of God, the work of the church in the kingdom, and our ministries and roles in the kingdom are not viewed by us as being dependent upon God's action. And the fact is that churches all the time make decisions and people make decisions all the time without really thinking that God needs to be part of the practice. Now, sometimes we will give lip service to this and we'll pray to God about something because we think this is what we're supposed to do. But really, we make human decisions not so dependent upon God and not at all feeling like if God doesn't come and do something, that we're in trouble. Instead, we think, well, I've I've prayed about this. I'm going to make a decision. Everything's going to be fine. And there is some element of faith to that for sure. But with many of the things that face us in life, we need to have a perspective that says, Without God being part of this, I am going to fail. We are going to fail. We are not going to be able to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish unless he is part of this. And he has to be part of this by us asking God to come and be part of this. If we really felt a sense of God dependency and thought God was going to work all the time in our world to intercede in all the areas of his work that we deem important, we would pray for his presence and his help. If we really thought that, if we woke up every day and said, man, this day is going to be a total washout, 
I am in trouble today unless God comes and does something in my life. We would pray if we thought that. And if we would pray when we're thinking that, God, I believe, would come with his presence and his help and he would bless us. And so as a church and as individuals, if you're serving in a ministry, if you're, on a, if you're in a life group, if you're a ministry leader of some kind, if you're an elder, if you're on staff, we have got to be people who constantly reflect on where we would be if God was not acting and recognize our absolute dependence upon Him for the things that we're trying to get accomplished. Now let me tell you, in a little while here, we're going to be back in class. We're going to have class start at 10 after 10. Kevin and I are starting a a class on core values. And the first core value that we have on our list of core values is reliance on prayer. Doesn't that sound exactly like what we're talking about here? The sense of God dependency and reliance on God to do something? We're going to talk some more about that in just a few minutes. So in some ways, the class today is just a continuance of what I've just been saying about reliance on God and our dependency on Him. So I hope you stay for class, and I hope you're part of that. But even if you don't stay, we need to be a people who are constantly reflecting on the fact that if God does not come, if He's not among us, if we're not asking Him to be among us so that He can come and respond and and answer those prayers that we have regarding our work in the kingdom, if that's not happening, we're in this by ourselves and we'll end up absolutely failing and incapable of doing what God wants us to do without His presence. So let me lead us in prayer and ask for him to come and be with us right now. And we need to be dependent on him that he might be. Let's pray. Lord, without you and your presence among us, we are weak and incapable We are unable, Lord, to accomplish anything of merit and value unless you come and show yourself and are present among us, doing things among us that we couldn't possibly do ourselves. And God, we need you to come. We need you to be here. We need you to fill this place. We need you to fill our hearts. We need you to fill our lives fill our vision, fill our efforts, fill our focus, fill our dreams. Help us to be completely dependent on you that the things that we would do as a church are the things that you would want us to do with you right there doing them among us because we can't. Help us to be dependent upon you in that way in every facet of our lives. And we know, God, that when we do that, that you're going to move some mountains. You're going to push back some seas. You're going to heal some broken lives. 
You're going to make us a force in our community the way we've never been before because you're part of us and doing something among us. Make this all possible today, we pray, as you come and are here with us. We, we make ourselves dependent upon you, O Lord. Through Christ we pray. Amen.